In this podcast, we want to dive into the paradoxes and complexities of the Catholic faith. Jesus is the Lion of Judah and the Lamb of God. He's the same Messiah who drives money changers out of the temple and calls us to himself so we can find rest and peace. The gospel he gives us is beautiful and simple and at the same time challenging and complicated. So join us as we look at the Lion and the Lamb, the simple and the complex, and try to bring our complicated world into the peace and beauty of the Catholic faith. Okay. Hey, it's Roar Like the Lamb. I'm Father Sam Kachuba. And I'm Paula Pena. You seem to have a lot on your mind right now. That was a very well, big sigh. We don't get to be in the same room to record because you're quarantined uh, <laughs> until we get a, a COVID test back for you because of all of that craziness. And um, you sent me that that awesome Matt Frad podcast the other day, and I still haven't had a chance to, to listen to it because it's long. I uh, One of the things I appreciate about him is how long his podcasts can be and that like there's a lot, there's there's a significant substance to each and every one of them. So I like listening to them because there's just, there's a lot there. So I was excited about it. I just haven't had a chance to do it, but I was planning today. I was going to drive up to go fishing. I was going to drive up either to to uh, Satan's kingdom, which I know sounds like a strange place for yeah. a priest to go. Um, <laughs> but that is the actual name of the place where I like to go fishing on the Farmington River. Oh my goodness. I wonder <laughs> why they call it that. Um, it apparently was a an enclave in New Hartford, Connecticut, that was populated by um, people who maybe the, the rest of society wouldn't always have accepted. But I think also they found that it was a very beautiful area. And so they nicknamed it Satan's Kingdom so that no there one else go. would come to live there. Yeah, wow. that's that seems to be the history as far as I can figure it out. But anyway, there's good fishing there. So okay, there's like no like, there. cults there. I thought I had a No, no, history. no. So it's all very normal. It's all very normal. <laughs> um, but I was planning to go there and go fishing or go up to um, to Cornwall Bridge and go fishing there on the Housatonic. And unfortunately, I'm reading the, the reports for, for both rivers, and they're terrible. Uh, it says the fishing conditions are, are really bad today. So I'm thinking to myself, is it really worth driving an hour to one of those places to go fishing only to find that it's a terrible place to be fishing today? I could go closer. And I don't, and it's the, like the mill river is supposed to be fishing a lot better right now. Um, but I'm just, I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. And <sighs> what makes, uh, what makes a, what makes it bad for fishing? Well, if the, if the water levels are, are too low, uh, okay. if, if the water levels are too low, then the fish tend to stay in the deepest places, but they're not as active. If the mm -hmm. water temperature is too high. Uh, trout are cold water fish. So if the water temperature is too high, they're not going to be there. If uh, if it's too windy, it's really difficult to to cast because as soon as you throw the line out, the wind catches it and blows it around and you don't get to, to cast where you intend to cast. Uh, it, there's all those things that can kind of go into it, if, especially though if the, if the water is too low. If the water is also too high, uh, it's impossible to wade. You can't get into the water because the uh, you can't you, if you if you can't see uh, to where you're yeah. stepping. Or if the if the water's too high, it's just difficult to get out to any good spots. Plus, if the water's yeah. too high uh, and it's nice and cold, the fish might stay low. Uh, it's mm -hmm. easier for them to stay in, in the in the more shallow water. 
or the the deeper water rather they'll stay they'll stay deeper and where it's colder rather than rising to the surface so the the conditions are no good because the water's too deep so if there's too much water flowing through the river if there's not enough water um, yeah all those things can kind of contribute to lousy fishing conditions just learned a lot <laughs> but i was planning i was planning to use my drive to listen to the matt frad podcast as you should, because he's perfect and, for those. <laughs> right. But now I won't have that long drive available today. So I'll, I'll you, have to find think, some other time. I think this often with Matt Brad that I feel like one of the things that makes him so likable is that just because he has an Australian accent, like you oh, just want to listen to him. <laughs> look, I think Matt Frad is an extremely intelligent commentator. I think he's got tremendous yes. ideas. He's got a way of communicating things that's great. But the fact of the matter is his Australian accent puts him at an immediate advantage because yes. Americans hear an Australian accent and are like, I'll listen to you say anything. I'll listen Literally. to you say absolutely <laughs> anything. You could have the worst ideas in the world. You could be reading the phone book. I don't care. I'm interested in yeah. what you have to say because of yeah. your accent. We can't help ourselves. No, right? we can't. In the same way, if, if you hear somebody who has a British accent, you think they might be smarter than you, oh, even yeah. if they're not. Can I tell you a funny story, though? When I was at camp, I was, I think, in high school, and we had somebody who was British, and I ended up in a conversation with her. And unfortunately, I didn't have the ability to resist changing the way that I started speaking to her. So <laughs> as she's communicating with me, I end up talking to her in a British accent. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> because I already like practiced it in my private time. Like I already was doing it and I knew so how to you, do it. I just had never put on a British accent. Oh, it was. And she just like looked at me and I was like, oh no, I'm not trying to mock you. Or like, I don't know what she thought. It was very awkward, nice. but I placed myself into that. <laughs> um, yeah, it just, it was, it was weird. It was very weird. So let's move on to part two. <laughs> I feel like that was a great transition. Let's get away from, let's get away from Father Sam talking about fishing because nobody cares. <laughs> I mean, if any listener is really interested to hear about fishing from Father Sam for a full hour, just got to let him know. The like, problem we'll is I don't, I'm still too new to fly fishing to, to be somebody who knows a lot about it. I, I just know enough that I, I know to look for a fishing report. I, I know that there are certain <laughs> things that are going to make fishing better than, than, you but know. you could talk about your experience of it. You know, people yeah. would like, Oh, what is like your personal experience? Like, well, uh, I, with I fishing once and went, how does that transform? Yeah. I once went up to the Housatonic to fish having no idea that there was such a thing as a fishing report. And I spent three hours fishing and I was really frustrated the entire time because everything seemed to me like it should have been a perfect day for fishing and it wasn't. And I didn't understand why it wasn't a perfect day. Now I know. So I won't make that same mistake again. Um, although they say any, any time spent on the river is better than time spent just about anywhere else. <laughs> so you still wasted like a good three hours in a, oh, in a good way. Totally worth yeah. it. Totally. Yeah, no, it's totally fine. Well, we are going on to part two of Commandments 4 to 10. So last week we talked about Commandments 1 to 3 with Fulton Sheen. And in the context now, of worship, which I really— Yes. I, I don't think I had ever really thought of the idea of, of the commandments and the Decalogue being in the context of being in the context of, of worship. And so hearing that from Fulton Sheen was really a fascinating way to look at it. I, I appreciated that very much. If only he stuck around. I'm kidding. But like, if he could just live forever, this would be so great. <laughs> well, 
well, we're fortunate enough that we have his, we have recordings of him. We have his books. There's, there's plenty. I know, I know. But how cool would it have been to be one of those people who actually got to listen to him? You know, there's, you there's know? a woman in the parish who had him as a professor. What? Yeah, when she was in, in college, uh, he was one of the, the visiting professors who, who taught uh, a course for them one semester. And oh she was able to, to be in his class. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, yeah, there are people in our parish who like grew up listening to him, but that was like way cooler. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah well, no, it, it, it really was because like I said last week when we were doing um, the first three commandments, which is what the chapter was, I just never thought about it in the context of worship. He just took it a whole other different direction. And now today is talking about commandments four to 10, the other commandments that have to do with love of neighbor. And it makes sense. So like the first three are about how do you relate to God? The next um, six are right now. I can't do math, whatever. The next ones are about how do you like then relate to your neighbor and how does that relate to God or how does that relate back to worship of God? So I find, I, I thought that was really, really interesting, but um so obviously he goes through the commandments, but one thing that really struck at me was something that he had said that reminded me of a time that I was in Peru. Um, he says, to leave the fatherhood of God out of the brotherhood of man is to make us all a race of illegitimate children. And so to love neighbor is to recognize that we also have one father. Mm. Do I recognize my um, spiritual filial relationship to everybody in the church? And when we were in Peru, we um, spent all week in a shanty town building a cement staircase. So we were people. We were with people who were in extreme, extreme poverty. Um, and every night there was a formation night. So one of the speakers would get up and they would say uh, something with regard to like church teaching or just like prayer and how do you kind of you know make your life and be a better be a better Catholic. And he said this thing that has stuck with me since that time. So that trip was in 2014. Um, he said, the reason poverty exists is because we don't know God, the father, mm. and because we don't know God, the father, then we don't recognize the people around us as our brothers and sisters. And I was astounded and I was like, what? I mean, yes, it just, it shook me to my core to recognize for me, do I know God, the father, and do I recognize the people around me as his beloved sons and daughters, and do I see them the way the father sees them? Um, or how many times do I get into arguments with my family? Or do I just think like, you know, that person is being really dumb right now and I don't see the face of Jesus in there. Like I just, I have all these other actions and thoughts and words that come out that are the opposite of, you know, sure. what, the gospel is asking me to do. That reminds so I me to start of, off with that. Yeah, that reminds me of something Mother Angelica said uh, on her EWTN show. She was talking about loving your neighbor and praying for them. She says it can be very difficult to love and pray for someone who you wish would slip on a banana peel. I saw that <laughs> on Catholic memes, or was it Catholic memes? Somebody I don't know, posted it yesterday. It's such a yeah. funny thing. It's because it's true. It's really hard to love somebody who's who's aggravating you. Now the um. What I was struck by was this connection of the commandments to worship and how when we're worshiping God rightly, when we're in this context of, of God, I worship you, God, I give you authority in my life, when, when God is all in all for us, in that context then, 
Fulton Sheen points out that if we're doing this, then we will not sin in this way. Mm. So, for example, if we love God rightly, then we will be faithful to the promises that we make. We'll be mm-hmm. faithful, uh, for example, in marriage to our spouses. We will be faithful in loving our, our neighbors. So by worshiping God correctly, by worshiping God, period, by being in that relationship with God, it, it excludes for us the desire to steal, to gossip, mm. to take what does not belong to us, to damage the reputation of another. Loving God forces us to see ourselves the way that God sees us. Yeah. And loving God also then has the effect of allowing us to see others the way that God sees them. And so if I can see others the way that God sees them, I I no longer hold anger towards them. I no longer hold uh, resentment towards them, or I reject those ideas as as best I can. But the reason that I need to keep going back to worship is precisely because sometimes those thoughts creep in. (laughs) Sometimes my respect for others declines. Sometimes I'm angry at people or resentful of them, or something is going on that makes it difficult for me to recognize the image and likeness of God alive in another person. And so I need to go back to worship because when I'm living in that relationship with God, the other things fall into place. This is something I've thought about for, for years that morality and, and the commandments are not arbitrary at all. Mm. Right. What do you see when you, when you look at the commandments, do you see them just as, as a list of requirements? These are things that I'm, I'm required to do or that, that hem me in. How do you see many people? I once used to see them as arbitrary rules that were there to diminish my fun <laughs> and joy right. in life. And but so then, then, but then what yeah. changed? How did you start seeing them differently? The moment I started worshiping, the moment that I started getting to know God was the moment that I started to see that completely differently. So on, to, on a natural yeah. level, though, can, can you look at the commandments without, suppose that, that you don't know God at all. Suppose you've yeah. never set foot in a church, you've never worshiped before. If you look at the commandments, can you see them as, at at the very least, these last ones that we're talking about, what you can call the second part of the Decalogue, right? So there's the the commandments that pertain to worship of God and to our relationship with God, and then there's the commandments that pertain to our relations with with others. At the very least, those that pertain to our, our relationship with others. We can see that on a natural level, this makes sense. So it's bad mm-hmm. to kill people. It's bad to steal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bad to have a uh, a greedy desire for somebody else's things or for somebody mm-hmm. else's person. Mm-hmm. So it's wrong for me to treat people like objects. It's wrong for me to kill people. It's wrong for me to steal from people. It's wrong for me to behave disrespectfully towards my parents or to, towards those who have legitimate authority. Mm-hmm. On a natural level, I can understand that. And so I can see at the very least the commandments, if they're not restrictive, if I'm going to think right. of them as something more than just restrictions on my behavior or arbitrary rules that force me to, to behave in a certain way, if I'm going to look at them at all, I might be able to see then that the commandments, in fact, are at the very least just good rules of thumb for how I should live. Right. And okay. different cultures can showcase that. That's the thing, though. That's well, I think that's so universal. The commandments are, the commandments are, are in keeping with the natural law. Yeah, yeah. Right? We're, we're designed this way. We're designed to live mm-hmm. in this way. So at the very least, we can see that the commandments are something that uh, 
that show me the right way to live. There's just a good, a good healthy roadmap. But if I want to understand the commandments as something more than just a roadmap, I need something. If I want to see them as more than just restrictions on my behavior, if I want to see them as something that, that in, instead of hemming me in, tying me up, keeping me from being fully free, if I want to see them as more than that, I need something. And the thing that's required is relationship. Mm -hmm. In the context of a relationship, these commandments change, don't they? Yeah. The commandments yeah. are no longer just uh, a set of a set of rules, maybe imposed from the outside. But now, in the context of a relationship, they change. So if if we if we talk about our own friendship, right? I don't want to steal from you. And if I stole from you, I would know that what I was doing was harmful to you. Mm -hmm. If I'm disrespectful to you, I know that that hurts you. And I don't want to hurt the relationship. I don't want to hurt you personally. I don't want to hurt the relationship. I also know that if I, if I behave that way, it's going to affect other things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if, if, if you take like a, a married couple, the relationship is, is them first and foremost, but then that relationship extends also to their children. It extends yeah. to their parents, to the in-laws and everything else. And if a couple is not loving one another, then their children feel that. The in-laws feel it. And so other relationships end up being hurt by it. Yeah. All right. Bring that into the context of a relationship with God. What does worship do? What does worship do for us? bringing you into a relationship with God. <laughs> that's but it. it that's makes, exactly it. Yeah, that's what it is. That's, it is the means by which you enter into a relationship with God. Very and simply, so if, that's what worship does. If then we enter into a relationship with God, there's an effect. The mm -hmm. effect of a relationship with God is a changed way of seeing the world. A relationship with God converts us. And this is why it's really important that you don't separate, that we don't separate morality from spirituality mm -hmm. and think that they're two distinct things or forget that they actually go hand in hand and need to be integrated and united to one another. So yeah. I can think of a time, especially as I was starting to take my faith more seriously in high school, as I was getting into my faith and, and starting to study it and learn it more, I knew a ton of stuff but the relationship with God wasn't there. I knew that there was a God who loved me and I knew that I had a relationship with him, but I was so focused on morality, what I was doing. Am I doing the right things? And I was obsessed. I wanna make sure that I'm doing the right things. I wanna make sure that I'm, I'm doing it correctly. And I would also like other people to, to believe in the same things that I believe, but that's gonna be primarily on, on a moral level. I had a view of, of religion, of Catholicism as more of an ethical code than mm -hmm. an invitation to relationship. And when it started to change for me was when I finally was helped to understand that it's not just about the, the moral code, it's about the relationship. And the relationship doesn't replace the moral code. The relationship causes the moral code to be put in its proper context the relationship with God causes the moral code to be a natural consequence mm 
mm-hmm. and a grace-filled consequence. I can live a moral life when I'm in a relationship with God. If I'm yeah. not in a relationship with God, the moral life is actually an impossibility. Yeah. Because then I'm just trying to follow rules, and they're rules without context. They're rules without, without a person that they apply to. Right. Rules without relationship. Yeah. There, so there's another quote that's um, everything that you were just saying that Fulton Sheen said. He says, our blessed Lord tied together love of himself, love of neighbor, and love of ourselves. And I think what happens now as culture continues to move is that there's a separation of all of these. Yeah. You know, they that they belong in their own separate compartment that they can't actually tie in together. But that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to take this uh, illusion that we have of separating in a way, kind of like our fullness of experience of our, the fullness of the experience of our own humanity. And it's like, no, this is all actually tied in together. And this is what's going to elevate you. This is what's going to make you have that abundant life. Um, cause it in and of itself, even when I think about like the laws, I love this last part, but love of ourselves. Um, I couldn't, you know, like, let's say if I was like really into gossiping about somebody or, you know, like there were particular sins, it always was rooted back to how I viewed myself. Mm. It always was back to, did I see myself as, as worthy? Um, did I, do I see myself the way that God sees me? And I, I love this example by mother Teresa that said, if train yourself to see Jesus in the Eucharist and you will be able to see Jesus in others. But my faith wasn't at a, well, actually I had no faith for like 18 years. (laughs) Um, It just wasn't in a place where I saw God and I saw who he was. And I wasn't having that reflected back towards how I saw myself. Um, The one issue that really comes to mind is uh, the, the abortion issue. That was a huge thing for me. That was a part of my, my conversion And I was like, yeah, like, let's just kind of let people do whatever they want. But I I remember sitting in prayer and I was really struggling through this because this is one of the topics that came up during RCIA and I was getting confirmed and I was like, well, how can I understand God's law? It just seems so, again, in my view, arbitrary, Mm -hmm. but, and it was one of the things that I struggled with, um, with, with that, um, with that part of the commandment. And I was willing to struggle with it though. I wasn't just like, you know, I was like, okay, Lord, like if you are real, like, what does this actually mean? And I realized for me, what happened in that moment was because I could not see my own goodness. I couldn't see the goodness of others, even in the unborn. And it blew me away that I started. I remember just crying in the chapel because this moment of grace came that the moment that I started to allow myself to see the way the father saw me and the way that he began to reveal himself to me completely unveiled what I had been missing all along, the Mm. dignity of a human person. Yeah. And what a shift that was in my head because I didn't see that before. I couldn't. I was like, well, why would you, I saw that more as like harming the woman or harming their future. And it just, and I wasn't there, but it was coming from a place of prayer. I was genuinely struggling with it. And I was like, okay, this, what does this actually mean? But it was through grace, through a relationship with God, that the veil was lifted. 
And then I started to see everybody as like loved and beloved. There's another sister who says, we should be so entranced with Jesus that when we walk by another person, we bow near them. And it's like, you can hear the lawnmower in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry about that. I apologize for that. (laughs) Um, But it, it really struck me is when I walk by another person, do I... Do I revere them? Do I bow down in the same way that I, when I walk by a tabernacle and I'm walking out of church, I kneel before Jesus before leaving. Yeah. And it was a challenge. You know, it's, it's interesting that you, you came at it from that perspective. The idea that if, if you didn't see yourself as worthy or as having dignity, you couldn't see the dignity of others. Um, Cause as, as you're talking about it, I think for me, in coming to understand the issue of, of protecting human life and the unborn, I came at it from a, a slightly different understanding. Um, and it was the idea that the unborn child has has this innocence and this dignity, right? The, the child's not guilty of, of anything at all. And so an unborn baby in the womb is is the one the one person who in whatever situation bears no guilt. And then to realize that every person is capable of protecting the dignity of another. This idea that we have the capacity to, to respect other people. We have the capacity to highlight their dignity and their worth, their value. We have then not just the capacity for it, but the moral responsibility to protect it. So first for me, it was like, well, the the unborn, that's the easy one. It's easy to respect and want to defend the the dignity of the unborn. For me, it was always a lot harder to want to respect the dignity of everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot harder to want to respect the dignity and the, the image and likeness of God present in the other people who I knew in my life. So that could be friends, that could be whatever. It was not always as easy for me to recognize that goodness in them. If I couldn't recognize that goodness in them, though, then how could I really and truly authentically say that I I saw the goodness, the dignity, and the value of life itself? Mm-hmm. What I needed was the the more complete sense of that dignity. And I think, I don't know, it sounds like in some way because of where you were starting from, if you couldn't see your own dignity and your own worth and therefore couldn't see the dignity and worth of others, the dignity and worth of the unborn wasn't there either. But when you began to see the dignity and the worth of the unborn, you also began to see your own dignity, your own worth, and started to to shift everything. I was able to see the dignity and the worth of the unborn, but it took that to help me expand my concept of it. Mm-hmm. I think I saw the dignity of the unborn and the dignity of me. <laughs> You know, like in a self-trust, <laughs> I am worthy, I am good. Yeah. And it was only much later that I started dealing with the idea that I'm not, I'm maybe not as good as I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. thank God I started dealing with the idea that maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, right? Uh. When I start to recognize that I'm not as, as good as I think I am, then I'm able to see the commandments differently too. If I realize, yeah. hey, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not as, as good as I thought I was. This is a way that I have failed to observe the commandment to honor my father and mother, whether mm-hmm. that's in my actual parents or in those who are in a position of, of legitimate authority. 
yeah. or it's simply the way that I've maybe not honored people around me and right. I need to do a better job of that. Right. Um, if I realize and, and recognize, okay, I am not always doing the job that I'm supposed to do. I'm not always being as, as good as I think I am. A lot of times we go through life think, oh, I'm basically a good person, right? I'm pretty much good. Mm -hmm. I, I, I do good things. I'm, I'm not a bad person. And we can kind of inflate our sense of self. <gasps> keep going. I had a thought, but keep going. And no, interrupt with this. I think it's going to be better. Ah, okay, no, no, keep going because I have to look it up in this book uh, that I have. Okay. I have to get the line out. If I think that I'm I'm doing pretty well and I ignore the fact that I'm capable of sin or I ignore the fact that I'm not always as as good at things as I as I ought to be or I'm, I'm I don't always treat people the way that God asks me to. When I recognize that I can look at the commandments and I can be more honest and being more honest I can do this. In our men's group we did this uh there's this exercise that they had given it's the 10 commandment test and go through the 10 commandments and do you give yourself credit for following those commandments? And the, the story behind it was this, this guy had done the Ten Commandment test with a group of his co-workers. And the average that the guys got was they got two out of ten on average for no their way. commandments. And almost all of them only got credit for um, not killing. <laughs> and for honoring their parents. Okay. Most of them, most of them <laughs> were, were honest as they went through the 10 commandments about all of the others that they had, they had missed a whole lot of different things. Now this was, this was in a, a presentation. This wasn't like our group, everybody in our oh, men's okay. group talking I was about that. Say. <laughs> no, <laughs> but the 10 commandment test is an interesting one. Cause if you sit down and, and think about how am I doing on my worship of God? Do I, do I put yeah. God first? Is, do I have any idols? Um, then if I, if I get, into the, the commandments that we're supposed to be talking about. We've kind of gone off track a little bit here, but that's okay. If I'm, if I'm not, okay, but if, if I'm looking at the, the other commandments, um, stealing, uh, even killing, how am I doing on yeah. the way that I speak about other people? How am I doing about the, the things that I desire in my heart? Am I, yeah. am I coveting things? Am I coveting other people? Am I coveting the things that they have? Am I, am I jealous? Am I filled with resentment about different things? And if I start to really honestly examine myself, I'm, I'm going to see that there's some, some areas there. Well, what happens then? If I'm in a right relationship with God, if I'm coming back to the Lord for worship again and again and again, I'm going to see those more clearly and recognize where I need to repent. But also if I'm worshiping God more and more, then my heart then is moved to be with God. My desire yeah. is for God. And therefore those things that cause me to be covetous, to, to be resentful, to be blasphemous, whatever it is, I don't want those things anymore. The desire for them starts to disappear. Mm -hmm. and, and it's so good because those last parts of those commandments, like those, those last ones, those are invitations to like, those are acts of worship to not do that is another like act of worship. And I love this though, because it's, we can simply, and this is what gets completely thrown out all the time. It's like, if I'm just a good person, that's all I need. And this is where it's great. Again, this is from walking with purpose. None of this is my own thought. I just, I love what gets said in here. Cause it just like puts you right there. If you come to God thinking that you are going to be accepted by him based on your good conduct, he will point out that your righteousness is nothing compared to his infinite holiness. That's it. Like, and it's so like, we, we, we 
make excuses in our own head. Well, like, you know, I'm not like this person or I don't do this, right? At least I don't do this. But Jesus is good. Like he's fully perfect, fully holy. And that's the call for all of us is to enter into that. And so a conversion can't happen with humility. And humility lets me see myself for what I am. Okay, I see where I fall short of the glory of God. I see where I fall short um, in these in these commandments, in the way that God desires, I see how, how like I fall short in, in, in loving myself. Maybe I like self-criticize too much. Maybe I think negatively too much of this person and leaks of these certain actions. Um, I fall short in hope and faith, whatever it is. Like there's so many ways in which we fall short. Um, but if, if we believe that, well, at least I'm a good person, then that's just a temptation from the enemy to not live in the glory of God. It's yeah. like preventing us to enter into this glory, into what we were made for. Um, the the following the of, of the commandments, yeah, observing yeah. the commandments, obeying the commandments, what that really does for us is it allows us to choose to do the good. Mm-hmm. All right, so virtue, virtue is the habit of choosing the good. So every I time you're going to do the straight catechism definition, which I haven't memorized, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's pretty much the catechism definition. In, it really is. It was just a shorter version. I was like, that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Virtue is to habitually choose the good. What is the good? Do you remember the story of, of Jesus and the rich young man? Mm. And the rich young man comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? Who but God alone is good. Yeah. Now he's identifying himself then in that context, in that in that passage. He's identifying himself. Why do you call me good if only God is good? Do you see who I am? Mm. Do you see what I am? That I am divine, that I am God himself in the flesh. To habitually choose the good then is not just to choose the good action or the good attitude or the good idea. To habitually choose the good is to choose God. And that's why every moral act and everything that we do in obeying the commandments is, like you said, it's worship. It's all related back to worship because I'm trying to be in a right relationship with God. If yeah. I'm just trying to be moral and it's it's just about I, I did good things and I'm yeah. I'm too focused on just having done good things. Not that doing good things should be off the table for us. We right. please let's <clears throat> continue doing good things. <laughs> <laughs> but when doing good things is in that context of a relationship with God, then the good that I do becomes an act of worship because the good that I do is a choosing the good, the supreme good, who is Jesus Christ. When I'm choosing God, when I'm choosing that relationship with God, when I'm choosing to do the things that keep me in that relationship with God, I am doing the good for the good. Yeah. And because I, it's I for want... the good, then I'm going to keep growing. I'm going to keep growing right. in that in that holiness. And it's going to drive me back to worship because in worship, when I when I go to mass, when I go to prayer, who do I encounter? I encounter the one who is goodness himself. And when I yeah. encounter the one who is good, when I go before God, that inspires in me the desire to continue to do what is good and what is mm -hmm. right. I want to I want to take this one step further because I remember getting into the place where I was just getting to like into my faith and I wanted to do everything correctly, and I got so stuck in what what do I need to do? How do I need to do it? And it 
can sometimes a little bit of it got like it was anxiety inducing like I was afraid of making this one one wrong step there's another quote by Saint Therese of Lisieux um and I this based off the simple idea that every advancement in the spiritual life isn't because you know we did the right things alone it's because of grace that every advancement in the spiritual life is because of God's justice and his grace and so she says that um, in the evening of my life, I shall appear before you with empty hands, for I do not ask you to count my works. All our justice, our justices are stained in your eyes. I want, therefore, to clothe myself in your own justice and receive from your love the eternal possession of yourself. Mm. And and I, I like that because I think that could be another temptation once you've said yes to a relationship with God that you get so focused on the work on simply just like works is what's going to get me into heaven. But we know that really it's what grace, it's what gets you into heaven. But work is there to for you to cooperate with grace, for you to cooperate in your own salvation with God. But at the end of the day, it's because of his justice and his mercy that we can even attain it. Right. So go back, to, it. go back to Jesus's encounter with the rich young man. What good must I do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, keep the commandments. If you want to get to heaven, the commandments are like the baseline. If we're not following the commandments, then forget it. Then we're, mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not on the right track. Follow the commandments. And he says, which ones? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Honor your father and mother. Those are like the big three that Jesus highlights in that story. It's because everything flows from that. Yeah. Right. All the all the others will will follow from there. Mm -hmm. If I love God, if I love my parents, if I honor them, if I love my neighbor as myself, then I won't steal, I won't commit adultery, I won't I won't be looking for possession or to to possess things or people in a disordered way. Everything that I right. that I need is is going to be rightly ordered. And then what does Jesus say after that? then go sell what you have and give to the poor and then come follow me. All right, so going back to what you said at the beginning, poverty mm -hmm. exists because we don't love God the Father. Okay. If poverty exists because we don't recognize our relationship with God the Father, the rich young man goes away sad for he had many possessions. Mm. His love for those things that he has is still too great. Mm -hmm. He doesn't recognize himself as loved by the father just yet. He's yeah. not ready for that. So he can't sell what he has to give to the poor. Yeah. Because he himself is actually very poor. Mm. He himself is living in a form of spiritual poverty because he doesn't mm -hmm. understand his relationship with the father. When he doesn't understand his relationship with the father, that means that he's going to go away said the other part of it is not just keeping the commandments but come follow me. Yeah. Jesus says if you wish to inherit the kingdom of heaven, Follow the commandments. These commandments in particular are important. Then go sell what you have, give to the poor, and follow me. And he can't follow. He's not ready yet to go with Jesus. Following the commandments is great, but are we following Jesus while we do that? Right, right. This isn't a one or the other proposition. It's, it's, it's both things at the same time. And that's where another danger comes up because we can get, like you said, obsessed with, I've got to follow the commandments. 
Um, and I've got to follow them so perfectly. We forget about the relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. We forget about walking with him, about following him. At the same right. time, we could we can fall into the trap of thinking, as long as I'm following Jesus, I don't need the commandments. Right? Those, they're not really they're not really necessary for me. Um, I or like I popular Christianity. <laughs> oh, it's it's. I had a conversation with somebody recently, and they said, "Well, one of the things that I've learned doing Bible study is that Jesus is, is not a rule follower." Mm. And I mean, I, I understand that there are many times where where Jesus, in the name of mercy, does things that seem to be operating outside of the of the law or out of outside of custom. But at the right. same time, at the same time, and this is a really important thing to remember, Jesus also says, I will not, I am not here to change the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to bring them to their fulfillment. So exactly. there's a thing called uh, antinomianism. <laughs> antinomianism is the tendency to, to disregard law or rules, to think that laws and rules are just arbitrary and don't really matter. They're not that important. And they can be ignored at our convenience. Mm -hmm. So whenever we want, it's it's fine. It doesn't matter. That antinomianism creeps into our spiritual life when mm -hmm. we decide that um, I don't I don't feel like doing this, and therefore this rule isn't going to apply to me. So I can still be a a good Christian. I can still follow Jesus. And you know what? The fact that I'm uh, embezzling from my company, it's okay. It's not really a big deal. We can like we do these sort of moral intellectual gymnastics to try to convince ourselves that different things are okay. Or we, we go with, well, Jesus sometimes um, overlooked certain customs. Therefore, rules don't matter to Jesus. That, that's not true. That's just not yeah. true. Jesus he knows the worship, good ordering of society. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. There's, no, there's no indication anywhere that Jesus ever, ever I mean, obviously, we know Jesus being fully human, fully divine, is yeah. completely free of all sin. But there's no mm -hmm. indication that Jesus ever once condoned sin or condoned the violation of the commandments. Right. On the contrary, he was trying to, he brought them to their fulfillment and he showed us what their true fulfillment is really all about. So. This is so good because thing. it's literally the next chapter of Fulton Sheen is the Ooh. law of love. <laughs> this is it. Worship, when, when we go before yeah. God in prayer, when we work on that relationship with God, the other stuff falls into place. And this is one of the things maybe that we need to do a better job of as a church and as evangelists is sharing that good news of the relationship with Jesus. Yeah. If we're, if we're starting from the, the morality part, follow these rules and you're going to, your, your life is going to be better. Um, that's what every self-help book is though. Here are some, here are some ways of thinking here, here are the yeah. rules to follow for your life yeah. and your life is going to get better. Right. If we introduce people to that relationship with Jesus, it's important for them to realize that certain ways of thinking are going to change because of the relationship with Jesus mm. because they believe in, and then oh, <laughs> I could talk about this forever because yeah. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I've seen it happen so many times. Somebody yeah. comes to, to a, a relationship and encounter with the Lord. And when they meet Jesus and when they really, really meet Jesus and, and fall in love with him, then they start to change their mind about so many things. Yeah. They start to, they're ready to give up sin. Things that they never thought were sinful before, they're ready to give up. They're ready to let go of. They're ready to move on. They're ready to do things differently. That's the power of a relationship with Christ. Like it changes us and it changes us from the inside out. 
if if we think that just following the commandments is going to be the thing that changes us, that's changed from the outside in. Yeah. My actions out here will somehow change who I am inside, but that, it's not true. The relationship with Jesus is what transforms everything. Yeah. And the more we're in love with Jesus, because we worship, because we fall down before him, because we humble ourselves before him, because we pray, because we go to mass, because we're worshiping God, when that happens, the things that we do have to be transformed. Just, again, I'm going to quote Fulton Sheen, because that's literally everything that you said is right what he was saying. He said, when I merely obey the commandments, I'm never there as a whole person. Like I, Like my entire humanity has to be kind of put in there. And then, um, then he talks about the Christian way. Like what is the Christian way, the Christian way of life in the Christian way, we are not governed by law at all. We should be beyond it. We seek not merely the keeping of the commandments, but to be related to our blessed Lord. If we've stopped at the commandments, we're missing a whole part of this other story. Um, so I feel like, you know, this is what we could kind of talk about. How then, how does law and love kind of move into our life and and bring us um, deeper like what what should my response be to the law and how do I how should I understand it um, all right it's good stuff so that, that might be a topic for next time we'll talk about I, uh, I think so <laughs> law and love and how we should be related okay I'm in I like that nice all right I know you have to go um, good I luck know, to, on, on sec- your second test. good luck on your test <laughs> good luck on my COVID test <laughs> hey i'm just uh, glad you're okay and uh hey this is great yeah all right all right everybody well, thank you for listening like, yeah this is where like the lamb i'm paula pena father sam kachuba god bless you <laughs>